Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now this morning we are, we're wrapping up our message series, The Race, with a conversation called Don't, Don't, Don't Lose Heart. And next week we begin a, a, a new series uh, called Christmas Messages. Now, I understand that there are there are, are a lot of messages within the Christmas story, and we're going to look at several of them beginning next week with the message of destiny. And hey, if you have a, a kindergartner through fifth grader, they're doing a study all this month called Undercover Christmas, where I think they're acting like detectives and discovering some of these stories as well. Maybe we may even sync up sometimes. But since October 21st, we've been unpacking Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. In doing so, we have, we have learned how to run the race of life well, how to run the race to win. So that when we get to the end of our earthly race, and listen, everyone in this room will get there someday. So that when we get to the end of our earthly race, that we will not, as Paul warned in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, so that we will not be disqualified from the prize. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not run the race? I ask you to run. So that when we get to the end of our earthly race, that we'll hear those incredible words. Well done, thy, the good and faithful servant. Come and enter your master's joy. So that when we get to the end of the race, we'll receive the prize, the crown of life that will never pass away. And here, here's the deal. Here's what God has taught us over the last several weeks, that if you want to run the race to win, you must remember that great cloud of witnesses, and there are so many in that cloud. You must throw off every hindering weight, especially the sin of unbelief that so easily entangles. You must run with perseverance the race marked out for you. You must fix your eyes on Jesus, looking away from all else. And as you'll see today, you must not lose heart. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we humbly come into your presence. And Father God, I pray that your word will come alive in our hearts and our minds. God, I pray for those, especially today, maybe who have lost heart, who feel like tapping out, who wonder if all their efforts are worth it, that they'll hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Maple Grove, as you run your race, especially those times when things are hard and things are difficult and things are... are uh, uncertain and things are just not fun. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Listen, for a lot of us, when we're struggling or going through something difficult, what we want is comfort, but oftentimes what we need is courage. And understand those two things are not, they're not mutually exclusive, but they look different. See, comfort is putting your arm around somebody's shoulder, and it's a gentle, and it's a reassuring voice saying, 
I know it's hard. It's going to be okay. You can get through this. But courage, courage, it's not an arm around the shoulder. It's, it's grabbing somebody by the shoulders and saying, don't give up now. I, I know you want to quit. I, I know you're ready to throw in the towel and tap out, but now is not the time. In fact, Now's the time to engage. Now's the time to get back on the track and to run the race that God has called you to run. Don't give up. And so we've been challenged in the series to have courage. But, but listen, telling someone to have courage is like telling someone to, to feel better, right? Like somebody is sick and you tell them, feel better. <laughs> okay, thank you, but <laughs> what, what can you really do? You see, here's the deal. Courage does not simply exist on its own. Instead, courage has to come from something. That's why it's not enough just to tell somebody, hey, be courageous. Okay, so where does courage come from? Like, what's the basis? What's the foundation? What's the fuel for courage? Well, that's the question we're going to try to answer this morning. In the next few minutes, as we look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And as we take a look at some verses found in Hebrews chapter 10. Again, where does courage come from? Courage comes from confidence. However, courage is only as real or as strong as the legitimacy of the confidence. In other words, how strong, how sure, how steady, how certain, how trustworthy, how legit is that confidence? I understand that throughout the Hebrew letter, the Hebrew writer is talking to Christians about the reasons why they can be confident, reason why they can have courage. And the number one reason, in fact, it's the overriding theme of the entire book of Hebrews, is they can have confidence because of the supremacy of Jesus, that Jesus is better. And because Jesus is better, your confidence can be in him. Okay, here's about a line. If your confidence is in Jesus, then you'll have all the courage that you need to keep running the race. Get it? Good. But again, just telling someone to have courage, to not lose heart. Um, if there's no confidence to back it up, it's not very helpful. It's like giving someone $100,000 in Monopoly money. And send them out shopping. It sounds great, right? But the whole thing falls apart when they get the Best Buy and try to use it, right? It just doesn't work. And listen, some of you have experienced this very thing in your life. Like you had some confidence. And you had some courage. And things were going well. But then your confidence got, it got tested. Something happened. That caused your confidence to be exposed. And when your confidence got exposed, your courage started to disappear. Listen, when we say, don't lose heart, take courage. When we say, speak courage into another person's life, it's not just a pep talk. It's, it's not just a halftime speech. It's not just listening to the soundtrack of Rocky Three and getting yourself all psyched up. Rising up, back on the streets. Did my time, took my chances. Went the distance, now I'm back once again. Just a man with his will to survive. So many times it happens too fast. You trade your passion for glory. <laughs> Don't lose the grip on the dreams of the past. You must fight just to keep them alive. 
It's the eye of the tiger. It's the thrill of the fight. Rising up to the challenge of arrival. Okay. I, I talk it better. Like, that'll help you for about 15 minutes. But when it's tested, when you're actually standing in the ring with Clubber Lang and Mickey's just had a heart attack, your confidence is revealed and, and simply singing the eye of the tiger will not get you there. And what I'm trying to say is that it all comes, that your courage and mind all comes down to what we put our confidence in. I mean, like any athlete or any soldier would tell you that uh, their courage is rooted in the confidence that comes for their competence as a result of practice and a result of training. And, and so as we get ready to engage in these scriptures, we need to understand that, the, that real courage requires real confidence. It's not enough just to say, oh, oh, be courageous, you can do it. No, it has to be rooted in confidence. And, and, and so this word confidence appears a number of times in chapters 10 through 13. And again, that confidence is in the supremacy of Christ, that Jesus is better. And so we could say it this way, this is how and why we do not give up in the race. See, our confidence in the confidence of Jesus is where we find the courage to not give up. Our confidence in the confidence of Jesus is where we find the courage to not give up. It's not confidence in ourselves. Instead, it's confidence in who Jesus is, what Jesus did for us, what Jesus is doing right now, and what Jesus will do one day. It's confidence in him. Now, these first century Christians that, that God breathed the letter of, of Hebrews to, they used to have that. I mean, they used to have that kind of confidence and courage. But then life got hard, and the race got long, and the, the path got steep. And more than a few rough and powerful and unrelenting ways crashed up against the shoreline of their lives. So they were losing heart. They're losing courage. I mean, they were wondering, as many others have for the last 2,000 years, okay, if all this bad and hard and difficult stuff is still happening to me, is Jesus really better? <laughs> Like, like, is Jesus really worth all this hardship and difficulty and discouragement and pain? And so in chapter 10, the Hebrew writer in verse 32 reminds them of the, the kind of courage and confidence that they once had. And he says this, remember those early days? Remember when you first became a Christian? Remember when you first began following Jesus? Remember those early days after you had received the light? During that time, it wasn't easy either, but you endured great conflict, full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. No, the culture didn't like you, and people talked badly about you. You were ridiculed and mocked for following Jesus and for being part of his church. And he continues, at other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. Yes, sometimes it happened to you, but then but then it, it happened to your wife, and it happened to your kids, and it, it happened to your small group, and it happened to your friends. And you suffered, he goes on, along with those in prison. And you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Hear what he's saying? He's saying, hey, 
I know you're tired and discouraged and you're losing heart, but do, do, you, do you remember how it used to be? Do you remember when you used to have this, you used to live courageously with such confidence? And yes, there was suffering, and yes, there were struggles, but Jesus was better than those, and so you endured. And you were thrown in prison, but Jesus was better than prison. And yes, some people came by and they took your stuff, but you knew that Jesus was better than your stuff, and you had confidence in him. And that gave you courage, but now you're losing heart. Now your courage is slipping away. And so in verse 35, he, he grabs the shoulders of these people and he looks them in the eye and he tells them, so don't throw away your confidence. Don't throw it away. Now is not the time. Now is not the time to throw away the confidence that has sustained you up until this point. Don't throw it away. And listen, this idea of throwing it away means that you're going to have to intentionally get rid of it. You see, it's not going anywhere on its own. In fact, if you don't want any more, you're going to have to, you're going to have to throw it away because it's still there. But he says, don't do it because it will, your confidence will be greatly rewarded. Listen, for some of you, 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 you know, I believe this is why God brought you here this morning. To call you back to the confidence you once had in Jesus. Because you had this season in life where you were no longer sure that Jesus was better. Like maybe you went away to college and you thought, I don't know if Jesus is better. I've been told my entire life that Jesus is better. But now these things over here, they're looking pretty good. So I'm going to go over there. But now I'm starting to think, maybe this isn't it. Maybe Jesus is better. Don't throw that away. Come back to it. Grab a hold of it. Remember the confidence you had in Jesus before you started dating that guy, before you started seeing that girl? Remember the confidence you had in Jesus? I, I know some of it, it slipped away, and it, it's been hard because if some of the people you encounter at, at school or at work or even in your own family, they're giving you a hard time. And making things difficult because they know you're a Christian. They know you go to church because they know that, 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 you're, that, they know that your beliefs and values are shaped by the enduring word of God and not the change in morals of our fallen world. Maple Grove, don't throw away your confidence. Yes, life is hard. And yes, there are a lot of challenges and a lot of struggles. But listen... It's the confidence you have in Jesus that will give you the courage you need to endure, to remain under, and not give up. So grab a hold of that with both hands. Don't throw it away. Don't lose heart. So, so losing heart is connected, connected to losing courage, and losing courage is connected to, to throwing away your confidence. So the question is, how do you and I throw away our confidence? Well, one way is... When we consider our circumstances rather than considering Christ. Again, Hebrews 12, 3. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Here, here's another cool Greek word for you. Analogizomai. Ana means again. Logizomai, the study, 
to think over, to reason, to contemplate, to reflect, and meditate upon. Yeah? Anna, do that again, right? He didn't just say, think on. He says, again and again, right? You repeat the process. Words only used one time in the whole Bible. It's right here. I'm saying to run the race well, to run the race to win, you must consider him. But unfortunately, what we have a tendency to do when we lose heart is we consider, we think over, we contemplate, we reflect and meditate upon our circumstances. We see only our situation. We, we, we fixate on our frustrations. We focus on our problems. And some of you know, what's that, and some of you know what that's like. Because life has not turned out the way you hoped. I mean, you thought things would be better. You thought you'd have a better job, or better marriage, or better children, or better finances, or better health. But things haven't really come into place. And the more they haven't come into place, the more you tend to give your attention and you begin considering those things. And the Hebrew writer says, hey, instead of considering those circumstances, consider Jesus. Think over, contemplate, reflect and meditate on Jesus, who he is, what he's done, what he's done for you, what he can do. And as you consider Jesus, it will give you courage to go on. Because you know that he understands. And you know that he'll give you whatever help you need to make it through whatever you're going through. So consider him. Consider him. And listen, this time of year leading into Christmas is a great time for all of us to consider, think over, contemplate, reflect on, and meditate upon Jesus so that we are not sidetracked by all the trappings of Christmas. In our world, there are a lot of traps out there that have nothing to do with Jesus. I'm not saying they're bad, but Jesus is better. Amen? Amen. And one way to help us all do that is, you know, there's a brand new faith comes from hearing. We do this, been doing this for like five, six years. I'll just put together a chapter we can read every day. There's a new one, hot off the press. Man, you can, you can be the first to get it, right? You know, we have sheets you can pick up going out there. It's online. And what we're going to be doing to, to consider him is we're going to read the Gospel of Mark. And then we're going to read the first two chapters of Matthew and Luke and the Christmas story. And then we're going to begin reading the Gospel of John, Right? And I want to encourage you, right, this Christmas season to consider him and to pick one of those up and to read the Gospels and see Jesus and contemplate and reflect upon and meditate on him and let's, let's see what happens, right? Take your mind off your circumstances and put them on Jesus. Now, the, another way that that word analogizomai is defined, and I kind of held this one back because I, 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 this meaning is so awesome, it's this, to consider by weighing and comparing. To consider by weighing and comparing. And one way you can do that that will help you to not throw away your confidence is you compare what you're going through to what Jesus went through. I mean, you just put those two up against each other. How Jesus died on the cross. He's taken the sin of the world upon himself. And you compare those things to your things. And you'll get some serious perspective in a heartbeat. Amen? And you'll find courage in it. 
Now this week I came across a story about a guy named Joey Lee, who in 2003 took part in a 156-mile, seven-day ultra-marathon through the Sahara Desert. I get tired, hot, and thirsty just, just saying that. And that's some crazy stuff. Here's some of the guys running. Yeah, we're having fun. No, you're not. This is awesome. Right? That's 156 miles running through the desert in 120-degree heat, wearing a backpack stuffed with food, clothes, and first aid supplies. Now, now Joey was running to not only to raise money for the American Cancer Society, but to pay tribute to his wife, Allison, who died of cancer earlier that year. After the first day, and again, it would take seven days to complete the race, many people had to be airlifted out. And around the 80-mile mark of the race, because of the heat, the soles of his shoes blew out. So now he had very little to protect him from running through the Sahara Desert. His feet became very blistered. Every step he took was painful. But at the end of the race, they, they were asking him about it. How did you do that? How did you keep going? What were you, when you were ready to quit, how did you endure? And I love what he said. He simply said, I thought about Allison a lot. And this is nothing compared to what she went through. I understand, every step was hard. Every step was painful. But instead of focusing on the pain that he was experiencing, he was thinking about Allison and the pain that she went through. She can do it. He can do it. One step in front of the other, and he finishes the race. 14 years later, here's a cover of the magazine, The Triathlete. 14 years later, his story won the contest. He got the cover of The Triathlete. I thought about Allison a lot. This is nothing compared to what she went through. And the Hebrew writer wants you and I to do the same thing. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I understand, you already know this, but being a Christian following Jesus and serving in his church can be difficult. Many times our feet are blistered. And there's pain in every single step that we take. I mean, every step is hard sometimes. And you will at times, believe me when I tell you, right? You know, ironically, or godonically, <laughs> that's not really a word, but um, could be. You know, today, I begin my 20th year of ministry I began full-time ministry on the first Sunday of December in 1991. And I, I got to tell you, there's time my feet have been blistered and every step hurt. And times I have lost heart. But I'm still in the race because I'm thinking about Jesus. And I think about what he went through. And what he went through against what I think I'm going through. And when I see what he went through because of his love for me, it gives me courage to keep on going and to not tap out. I will stay in the race and I will finish strong. Blister feet and all. So you compare and you compare. Now another way of comparing is this idea you compare not just what you went through to what Jesus went through, but you compare Jesus to whatever it is that you're going through. 
And like you ask yourself this question. Is Jesus better than what I'm going through? And that's what he's doing throughout the whole letter. He's throwing some things out. He's saying, hey, here they are. Compare them. Which is better? Is Jesus better? And, and, and so he says, you know, Jesus or the prophets, right? Who's better, Jesus or the prophets? And they would say, Jesus is better, right? And, 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 and I need some audience participation. I'm going to ask a question, and you can answer it. I'll tell you the answer ahead of time. Is Jesus is better? If you don't think that's the answer, keep your mouth shut, right? Because <laughs> you're ruining everything, right? Okay, he, Who's better, Jesus or Moses? Jesus is better. Who's better, Jesus or the angels? Jesus is better. Who's better, Jesus or the blood of goats and bulls? Jesus is better. A little more passion. Who's better, Jesus or the old covenant? Jesus is better. Who's better, Jesus or your failures? Jesus is better. Who's better, Jesus or your current challenges and discouragements? Jesus is better. Who's better, Jesus or your sin struggles? Who's better, Jesus, or the fears you have about your future? Jesus is better. Amen. He's better. Anything you compare to Jesus, Jesus is better. And listen, God, through the Hebrew writer, wants you to be confident, and he wants your confidence to be in that Jesus is better. Don't throw that away. Don't throw away that confidence because that's where your courage comes from. Now, another way we throw our confidence away is when we confuse confidence in ourselves with confidence in Christ. We get that confused. I don't think we even intend to, but, but it happens probably because in our Western culture, right, we're disciplined in this idea that courage is self-courage, it's self-help, it's self-confidence, it's, it's putting confidence in ourself. And listen, for some of us, that worked for a while until it got tested. You see, the truth is that for many of us, we have this self-confidence that isn't real. It's not real. You see, it's kind of been beat into us, you know, feel good about yourself, this humanistic approach to life. And even sometimes in sermons at churches, you hear this, where you listen to the sermon and it's all about you and what you can do. And what you can do to make your life better. And you walk out and you think, I got this. No. No, you don't. I mean, if you got this, is what the Christian life of church is all about. Why did Jesus send the Holy Spirit when he left to go to heaven, right? Because you ain't got this, right? No, we don't got this. And some of you realize that. And maybe that's why you're here. Because it got tested. And your confidence got revealed. It got exposed. Like it worked great until it didn't. It worked great until your wife said she was leaving. It worked great until you heard the word cancer. It worked great until you found out that you're addicted. And as many times as you try to get control, you can't. You need help. It worked great until you got laid off. It worked great until your child became seriously ill. It worked great until your spouse died. It, it, it worked great until your dreams blew up. It worked great until it got tested. And then you found out that confidence, your confidence was not real. And your courage disappeared with it. So the Hebrew writer is saying, look, you don't put your confidence in yourself. Question, what is it that, 
Rob somebody of confidence. What destroys their confidence? To give it a little context, for an athlete, what destroys an athlete's confidence? Now, there are a lot of different things, but I think one big thing that destroys an athlete's confidence is failure, right? Failure destroys confidence like nothing else. Either failure yourself or the fear of failing. You see, it's hard to get courage to try again if you failed. Because your confidence has been shaken and you kind of get it in your own head. It's hard once this happened to keep moving forward because your confidence is exposed. You failed and now it's hard to keep going. For all you Rocky fans, Rocky three, right? You know, that happened to him, right? Never lost and he had a fake confidence and when he failed and, and got destroyed by Clubber Lang, right? He was terrified. He was terrified. He got in his own head, totally afraid. He was full of fear and not courage. That, that's what happens to us, spiritually speaking. Like we thought we were strong enough. And then we got tested and we failed. We're running a race and we fell and we're, you struggle along and eventually you struggle enough that you, 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 fall, you fall enough and you think, you know what? I'm out. I'm just, I'm just going to go over here. I failed too many times in this area of my life. I failed too many times as a spouse. I failed too many times as a parent. I failed too many times as a pastor. I failed too many times with my friends. I failed too many times with God. And you know, every time I try, I mess it up, so I'm out. I'm done. And unfortunately, that describes a lot of people in life. They started strong. I mean, they had these ideas and thoughts and dreams about their lives would be like, and then it got tough, and now they're done. But listen, it's because your confidence, you put it in you. It's never meant to be in you. If you're a follower of Jesus, your confidence is meant to be in Him, and in Him alone. Get it? Good. And so the Hebrew writer is saying, now look, Jesus is better than your failures. Look at Hebrews 10, 19. It, it says, we have confidence down to the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. He's saying that through the death of Jesus and the sacrifice of his life, the shedding of his blood through his body, that we have a confidence now that we can go to God and find help when we need help. That when we're weak and we're, 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 we're ready to quit because of what Jesus has done, he's opened up a door for us to go into God's presence to find help in our time of need. And since we have a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance, full confidence that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. See, one thing that sometimes robs us of our confidence is a guilty conscience. But listen, Jesus, through the shedding of his blood, dealt with our failures. And so now we approach God's throne of grace with courage because we have confidence, not in ourselves, but in Jesus and what he's done. That he's made a way for us to confidently approach God. Think about that. To get the help we need when we need it. That he's our connector between us and God. Now, the priest had a role of a mediator. We no longer need a mediator. Jesus has done that for us. A priest was a link between God and man, man and God. But when Jesus came, God replaced the link with the cross. And now the cross makes a way for us to have the confidence in, not in ourselves, but in Christ, so that we can approach God and find help whenever we need it, whenever we're tired and whenever we're weary. 
Understand, when our confidence is in him, instead of losing heart, we take heart. That's a phrase used all over the New Testament and Old Testament. Sometimes it's translated, be courageous. But if you look at the context in which take heart is used, what, it, what you'll find consistently is that it's not take heart because you can do this. It's take heart because God can do it. Take heart not because you're strong enough. Take heart because God is strong enough. So we have an example in Hebrews 11. It mentions Gideon. In Judges 6, Gideon, he's, he's hiding in fear from the Midianites. And an angel shows up and says, hey, Gideon, you know, my people are hiding in caves and it's not very good. I, I, want, you to, I want you to save my people from the oppression of the Midianites. You know what he says? Can't do it. <laughs> my tribe is the weakest and I'm the weakest in my family. He's got no confidence. You know what God doesn't say? Gideon, you can do it. Gideon, you just need to believe in yourself more, Gideon. You know, have faith in yourself, Gideon. He doesn't do that. Dig down deep, Gideon. Doesn't do that. He doesn't say, hey, you need to listen to Eye of the Tiger and do a little rocky workout. Doesn't say that. Know what he says? I'll be with you. And I can do it. Don't confuse that. That the calling of following Jesus is not you can do it. <laughs> you just got to work harder, try harder, be more determined. No. It's not your strength, it's his. It's not your confidence, it's in him. And we see that over and again, right? Moses, right? They're my people. Can't do it. What does he say? Moses, you need to do this self-help seven week of believing in yourself seminar, Moses. No. He says what? Hey, dude, I'm going with you. Joshua was about to go into the promised land, terrified. What does God say? Joshua, believe in yourself. You're a good man. You've had all this training. You're awesome. No. You know what he says? Hey, don't be, be courageous. Don't be terrified. Don't be afraid. Why? Because I'm going with you. I'm going with you. Put your confidence in me. We get that confused. We don't, want it. We don't always want it, but it can happen. Have you ever lost your confidence because you put it in yourself? Consider, contemplate, re reflect, and meditate on him. Adore such opposition from sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And I love what Hebrews 13 says. God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. And for some of you, that is what needs to happen in your life. You need to say that again and again and again and again until you say it with confidence. Yeah, I know life is hard and things are difficult and I'm struggling and nothing's going right. But the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. We're going to do that three times real loud on the count of three. One, two, three. Okay, stop. I said loud. Like you mean it. Like you need some help. Okay? One, two, three.
Amen. Amen. I mean, that's how you stare Clubber Lang down in the ring. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid, right? I mean, you say that to your situations. Yeah, I know it's hard. It's difficult. I know you're bigger and better than me. I know you're taunting me. But guess what? The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. So the Hebrew writer says, do not throw away your confidence. It'll be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you'll receive what he has promised. Yeah, the race is not easy. It's hard. Sometimes your shoes are going to blow out. And your feet are going to be blistered. And every step you're going to take is going to be painful. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off every weight that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race set out before us. And let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned his shame. Consider him, consider him, who endured, remained under such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and you will not lose heart. Brothers and sisters, do not throw away your confidence. Don't quit now. Now's not the time to quit. Now's the time to keep running. Now's the time to finish the race and know that there is a rich reward waiting for you. Father, we love you. And thank you for this time, God, that we can come into your presence. Thank you, Jesus, for allowing the curtain, your body, to be ripped and torn in two so that we can approach this throne of grace with confidence to find the grace to help us in our time of need. Father, I pray for those today, God, who have just been losing heart. God, I get it. I know it. I've been there. God, I pray that they'll put their confidence in you. That they'll compare what they're going through to what you went through. That they'll compare what they're going through to who you are. And God, that they won't put their confidence in themselves, but in you. And they'll know that the Lord is their helper. The Lord. The Alpha and Omega, the Creator God is their helper. They do not need to be afraid. God, help us to run the race well and to run it to win. In Jesus' name, amen.